Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, where each week, Dr. Frank Domino, along with his guests, translates today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. Now, broadcasting from the University of Massachusetts Medical School in Worcester, Mass., your host, Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health, and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Tom is a 54-year-old patient in your practice who comes in for his yearly health maintenance visit. He states he feels well and has no complaints. His past history shows he has well-controlled hypertension, dyslipidemia, and gastroesophageal reflux. His medications currently are lisinopril 20 milligrams a day, atorvastatin 20 a day, and omeprazole 40 a day. He also takes an aspirin for cardiovascular prevention and a multivitamin. When you ask about his GERD symptoms on your review of systems, he tells you, I have no symptoms if I take the medicines every day, but when I miss the med for a couple of days, boy, does my heartburn come back. You know the long-term proton pump inhibitor use is associated with some health risks, but you're not sure how to convey this to Tom. How do we counsel Tom about these risks and consider deprescribing while balancing most of his symptoms? Joining me today is Susan Feeney, Assistant Professor and Coordinator of the Family Nurse Practitioner Track at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thanks, Frank. So, Tom and his GERD, <laughs> uh, pretty commonplace these days. Very common. um, what are the current evidence-based guidelines around the diagnosis, treatment, and management of GERD? Well, according to the American College of uh, GI, or gastroenterologists, um, Simple GERD, meaning that there's no evidence of those alarm symptoms, so there's no unintentional weight loss, there's no evidence of anemia, black retari stools or black emesis or, um, you know, difficulty or painful swallowing. So in the absence of that, which is, as you know as a primary care provider, is probably the majority of people we see, then that's considered sort of, um, and we can make an empiric decision. So we make a decision that it's, it's GERD, and what's recommended is using the PPIs. They are superior in acid suppression and uh, much more superior than the um, H2RAs. So they recommend eight-week course um, of the prescriptive dose, so the higher end of the prescription, and, it, and they don't recommend one over another. Mm -hmm. um, and then at that point, the feeling is, is you'll have some healing if there's any erosions. Um, because you're not doing, they don't recommend endoscopy. So at that point, you would then try to deprescribe or start to taper them off. And hopefully they would only need it um, um, in a small amount. But also, besides the medication, which is indicated, are lifestyle changes. They recommend weight loss. We know that increased pressure in the abdomen, either from a fetus, from a pregnant woman, or um, adipose tissue is absolutely a pressure against the diaphragm and, and makes that lower esophageal sphincter open and it increases GERD. So the concept too is if you start the PPI then hopefully people have eight weeks to do their lifestyle changes uh, and good luck with that. And good luck. What about, yeah. what about irritants like NSAIDs or alcohol, tobacco? Yeah, so it's, so it's not just weight loss and there's also the, the age-old elevate the head of the bed. That's really only good for people who truly have nighttime symptoms, people who aren't bothered at night they don't need to do that. Um, there are irritants, that absolutely. NSAIDs are famous because they have the anti-prostaglandin effect and they can cause, absolutely cause erosions. Um, we know that spearmint, peppermint, alcohol, uh, tobacco, 
caffeine, those things will, and fatty foods, will um, increase pressure in the gut, but also um, lower the, the, the tone of the sphincter, lower esophageal sphincter. We know that uh, progesterone, so birth control pills, pregnancy, um, hormone replacement therapy, that also rela releases, uh, relaxes that sphincter, as does um, diltiazem and some of the calcium channel blockers. So those things are important, and those, um, and people will tell you, you know, I'm fine unless I go out and have marinara sauce. Mm -hmm. So that's always an important thing to ask patients is if there is an issue. But fatty foods are clearly also a problem. So quite a few things we need to query about with right. regards to lifestyle. Right. S Susan, you said something really important. We need to think about after eight weeks of therapy that have been successful, deprescribing. How do we go about doing that, and when is it appropriate? Well, as you know, in primary care, most people come in with a complaint of GERD, have already started over-the-counter, um, either the lower-dose uh, PPIs or the H2RAs, excuse me, and they may be top popping Tums as you go. So um, it's really important that they are on a continuous um, eight-week program to try to take care of any sort of erosion that might be there. And so what we know is that there are risks associated with long-term proton pump inhibitor use. Um, and to try to figure out what long-term is, the, it's all over the block when you look at the literature. Um, it's anywhere from 12 weeks to a year, and you know, and I have patients who've been on them for years. Um, it is associated, so there's some real risk associated with it. It turns out um, acid in the gut is a good thing. We need that for, for certain things. And it is certainly associated with that acid suppression. There um, is reduction in, in magnesium uh, absorption and increase in gastrin. And there is also something called atrophic gastritis, and we're not really sure what that's associated with. Uh, it might be a higher increase of Barrett's and adenocarcinoma, but that hasn't been borne out. Uh, but we know that since the advent of PPIs, we've definitely seen a decrease in esophagitis and esophageal strictures, which is a great thing, but there's been an increase in Barrett's and adenocarcinoma. So, but some of the things that we know for sure are risk are increased risk of GI infections like C. diff, and that is also a problem regardless if you've been on an antibiotic or not, which I found very interesting. Um, and also there is an increase, possible re in, uh, increase in the risk of pneumonia, and they think that has to do with changes in the pathogens in the upper GI tract. Um, so those are very real risks. There's also, because of the low magnesium and calcium, there's a risk of low bone density. Um, and the FDA does have a warning that if someone is at risk for bone density loss or they already are osteoporotic, you need to use these with great caution. So I think it's really important that we talk to our patients about the risk of long-term use and that we also know that there was a meta-analysis that was done looking at deprescribing. And um, even though the evidence was low to moderate and it was, there was a lot of differences between the studies, what they found was that when you take people off of long-term PPIs, most of them re will relapse. And, um, and there's also a, something called a hypersecretory uh, uh, response, sort of a rebound that can happen. So what they recommend is a slow taper is to say to someone, if you've been on this for 12 months and you know that you stop it cold turkey, you're going to have a re uh, you're going to have uh, symptoms. Then you tell them go to go to the over-the-counter dose, like for omeprazole. You're on 40 milligrams, go to 20 milligrams a day, and give them that for two weeks and see how they do. If they have breakthrough, they recommend well maybe give them an H2RA at bedtime, 
Um, it has less acid suppression, doesn't have as many of the side effects, and you can lower the dose, and it is a dose response. Um, what they did, f and then you can do that for a couple of weeks, and then DC and see how they do. What, what was very clear in the uh, meta-analysis is that the on-demand concept of PPIs doesn't work very well. Because if you look at the pharmaco, the dynamics of the drug, um, it takes about five days to get to that level of acid suppression, so it's not gonna work hit or miss. Uh, but the H2RAs will. So um, if they can get good relief with that on a PRN basis, that would be uh, a nice strategy. But what you hear and what the literature has said over and over again is that if you cannot get them off of PPIs, go with the lowest dose that's tolerable, and then continue every so often to challenge them to see if you can get them off, um, like every six months or so. So just checking to say, oh, you're, you're good free, you're on your proton pump and it's not going to be good enough. We really have to challenge them. While, you're, while they're weaning off, you also want to recommend, like if you do a 5% five five weight loss, that might be enough loss of weight in your abdomen to reduce some of that reflux. So you might be able to get some buy-in uh, on that. I love the thought of a small change in weight or looking at their medications or looking at some of their personal habits and, and helping the patient you know, feel empowered to make changes because I don't think anyone enjoys the symptoms of GERD and while the PPI use makes you feel better quickly, uh, sometimes it decreases patients' incentive to make, make changes. Quickly, tell us a bit about when we should be worried uh, and, and, and consider sending Tom in for an endoscopy. What are some, some, some flags that if he fails therapy or whatever? Well, um, they're, they're very clear from the American College of Gastroenterology is that people who are non-responders, so if, if you've got someone who you think has classic GERD, doesn't have red flags, it doesn't have all the symptoms I mentioned earlier, but you put them on a proton pump inhibitor, and it's now two weeks in, and they have poor they have poor response. You really need to investigate if there's another etiology. Is there Barrett's? Is there something else? Um, now, some of the literature said try them on a different P PPI because there are there are um, rapid responders and slow responders, you know, and we don't know who those folks are, so they may do better on a different PPI. But certainly if you've got someone who's like, you know, they're on 40 milligrams of omniprazole for two weeks and they have had no change, I would send him uh, to a gastroenterologist. I may not do the upper endoscopy, I may send them for a referral. Um, the other thing they say is, you know, if, if they've been in good control and there's been no obvious change and then the symptoms worsen, um, see if, you know, that then they need a referral. And if they had any, uh, if they have non-cardiac chest pain, you can't determine that. You have to rule out all the cardiac, uh, cardiac uh, issues. So those folks need to be evaluated. You can't just assume, oh, I, this is probably related to their GERD. If they have a chest pain that mimics um, cardiovascular, that the cardiovascular etiology has to be ruled out. Um, and then of course, any if you had someone, you're following them and they don't, they, they have no, uh, they have good resolve of their GERD symptoms, but you check them and now they have an iron deficiency. You know, I certainly would do an occult stool and uh, send them off to see if they, if they needed a, um, an endoscopy. This is a great discussion of GERD and PPI use. Any final thoughts on um, on Tom, our patient, or GERD in general? Well, you know, it, it really is sometimes the thing that really got me when looking at the literature is very few of these conditions are due to an over-secretion of acid. Most of it is that there's just acid getting into the esophagus, esophagus from a malfunctioning lower esophageal sphincter, which is due to lifestyle. 
I mean, I mean, certainly some people have uh, uh, may have a congenital issue there. So uh, really working with people on those lifestyle changes and talking to them about, you know, I know that you have, um, you feel like you're in good control with the, with the GERD, but all medications have a risk. And let's see if we can work together with changing some of your lifestyle, um, you know, what you're eating, a little bit of weight loss, and to see if we can either take you off completely or at least lower the dose so your risk decreases. And I think that's a discussion we, we have to have with our patients and understanding that. And I think the, the oh, the other thing I mentioned is that can block iron and B12 absorption as well. So, I mean, there, there are some real risks. And uh, I think, you know, people are smart and they will listen to you if you've got good evidence and you work together. And if they are miserable, Try to work on a, uh, you know, some sort of combination of lower dose PPI with a, an H2RA and uh, some lifestyle change. Thanks so much, Susan. This is a great discussion. Thank you. Practice pointer. Chronic proton pump inhibitors increase the risk for a variety of adverse outcomes, including C. difficile, pneumonia, and possibly inducing things like B12 deficiency, iron deficiency anemia, vitamin D deficiency, and obesity. Join us next time where we discuss the best evidence in the diagnosis and treatment of major depressive disorder in the primary care setting. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. For more information about the article referenced in today's episode, look under the resources section of the episode landing page. Need help reaching your CME credit goal this year? If so, Please browse the more than 300 free CME accredited activities now available on primed.com. We want to keep making this podcast better with every episode, so we need your feedback. Tell us what you think by submitting your feedback via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or log into primed.com and submit your feedback at the bottom of the episode landing page. Thank you again for listening.